namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sanghang namassa We've just ended a week in the monastery we call our silent practice week, which emphasizes silence, obviously, uh, rather than talking. And it's not that there's no talking, but pretty minimal, really. And I must say, it's it's got its place, being quiet definitely got its place so uh, perhaps tonight's Dhamma talk might be a little bit shorter than usual but I am happy I'm happy that we meet and that we have this chance to uh, contemplate together verse for the month the teachings of Ajahn Chah which this evening is Once you are free, you won't have to suffer. If you have children, you won't have to suffer. If you work, you won't have to suffer, whatever your situation in life might be. I think I got that right. When you live in spiritual community for a long period of time, it, uh, well, I find it, it, it surprises me to recognize or to register that people are not thinking about being free. Most of the time, it seems that uh, the majority of people actually perhaps don't even have a concept of freedom that they're just moving from one thing to the other and getting by. And certainly uh, the Buddha and the great teachers, uh, their message was that uh, the struggle of our lives, suffering, is not an obligation. It's not ultimate. Mm. If suffering was ultimate, then there's no way the Buddha could have realized freedom it'd still be suffering. If suffering was ultimate, then Ajahn Chah couldn't talk about unconditioned freedom, regardless of the circumstance of our life. Uh, You can remain free. If suffering was ultimate, he couldn't have talked about it. So, From the perspective of these liberated beings, uh, suffering is not ultimate. It's... uh, 
in a way, you could uh, even say suffering is a choice. Well, certainly I think it's worth remembering that that this freedom that, uh, that Ajahn Chah was referring to is not something that has to be created. And the Buddha himself talked about freedom, liberation, awakening. He said, it's, it's like an ancient city. I found an ancient way. He talks about this ancient way of overgrown and, and branches and bracken all over the place and Nobody had been going along this ancient way for a long time, but he found it and, and uh, made his way through it, uh, through the undergrowth and through all the obstacles. And then he said, I came across this ancient city. This is the land of liberation. And so I think it's, that's worth bearing in mind that... that Liberation, awakening, freedom, mm-hmm. even if we do have a concept of it, it's not something we have to create. It's something to remember or something to wake up to. Maybe we could uh, talk about it as <clears throat> like getting sober. Mm-hmm. You stop and think about all these wonderful teachings that we've had for so long, we've heard them over and over again, and, and yet we, we still behave in pretty crazy ways. I mean, why do we do that? It's kind of like somebody, it's like being drunk. It's like being intoxicated. And the Buddha did use that word, intoxication, you know, the different ways of being intoxicated. And, and uh, you, I'm sure you've all seen people who are intoxicated, maybe experienced a little of it yourself from time to time. In the past, you know, being intoxicated in a state of diminished responsibility. It's, uh, it's a disaster, actually, because when we're intoxicated, we misjudge situations. And uh, you know, the Buddha you know, talked about the intoxication of youth. And, and those of you that are young, there's no point in listening at this point because you're probably intoxicated. But for the rest of us, we can probably think back to the things we used to do when we were 20. Can you imagine how embarrassing? God, I think of some of the things I did when I was 18. And kind of this well of shame rushes through me. Oh, God, how awful. Yeah, my goodness. When you're young, you, you know, what do we do? We, just, we think we're going to be young forever. Now the Buddha, well, that's a form of intoxication. We take it for granted, or, or just a mundane example of, of like uh, you know, you break your leg and you know you get a serious break. Like we had uh, that friend staying with us, Bill Orfrey, his good friend, came up and kindly volunteered to address some of our electrical wiring needs. And and uh, while he was staying here, he managed to fall down the stairs at Kusla House and those lovely stairs that we've all been up and down many times, nice, beautiful carpet and nice handrail. Well, somehow he went from the top to the bottom and in a very undignified way and totally smashed his um, the big bone, whatever this one is up here. Totally smashed it. Ended up in hospital for quite an extended period of time and now he's got all sorts of titanium pins <coughs> stuck in him. For the rest of his life, he's going to be held together by bolts. And it's going to take him many months before he recovers. And over this period of time, I'm, I'm sure he's going to think, 
when I'm better, I'm never going to take my leg for granted ever again. When our body's working well, we tend to get intoxicated and we take it for granted. And then when it gets hurt, we say, oh, I'm going to be more careful. Well, intoxication with youth is like that. And uh, Youth, wealth, health, beauty, these are some of the intoxications. But also just the state of ignorance that we live in is like a form of intoxication and we get around doing things that... Um, Afterwards, we realize the suffering. Oh, there's the cause, there's the effect. Why do we keep doing all this? And so the Buddha said it's for not seeing two things. He said there's the not seeing of two things, not hundreds of thousands of things. Sometimes Buddhist teachings are presented in such a complicated way that you think, oh, it's way beyond me. The Buddha said, actually, there's only two things. Not seeing two things. Not seeing suffering and not seeing the cause of suffering. That we don't realize is freedom. This actual freedom, this freedom that's actual. Actuality is freedom. Apparent reality, imagination, hallucination, samsaric existence that, that we live in, is, uh, that's not actuality, that's intoxication. That's, that's not real, actually. It's apparently real, so we've got to deal with it. But it's good to think about it as being intoxicated. Like when somebody's intoxicated and, and, and you say, oh, the house is on fire. Well, if they're only mildly intoxicated, they kind of manage to waddle their way out of the house and say, oh, that's a pity. But if they're seriously intoxicated, <laughs> whatever, whippy, you know, crack another tube of Fosters and you know, put on the music, you know. <laughs> we can be fire worshippers. Yeah, you're going to come out with really crazy stuff when you're seriously intoxicated. And, yeah, so hopefully most of us, or hopefully all of us, are not that seriously intoxicated anymore, but we are still, you know, we still keep doing these things and suffering and making mistakes and making problems out of things that are not actually a problem, getting anxious over things that are not a cause for anxiety because not seeing two things. That's really simple to remember. You're going to be careful not to complicate the spiritual path. When you're intoxicated, you can complicate everything and make problems out of everything. Mm. Things that are not problems we make into problems. Things that are actually problems we think are not problems. So not seeing two things, not seeing suffering, not seeing the cause of suffering. And, and you think, it's, why, why don't we see these things if it's so simple? It's be, because we have these misperceptions and we get addicted to our distractions. We've learnt to distract ourselves from the reality. If you can think back, in fact, sometimes you hear this, people talking about their childhood and the, you know, what it was like when the mind wasn't so complicated. And personally, I don't seem to have such a good memory of my early life, but some people seem to have remember back. And when life wasn't so complicated and... You get interested in what's going on here, what's really going on here. Yeah, like even suffering. And when you get older, after a while, you're not interested in asking that question, what's really going on here anymore? It's just like, how can I get out of here? Until it becomes a habit. Habitual distractions. Distract ourselves with various food or entertainment until we think it's normal and 
Of course, uh, when you get everybody doing it, well, it does appear normal. But if you slow down, and um, which of course in our spiritual practice we're all trying to do, and we contemplate this predicament, that's a really important question. Why do I keep doing the same stuff over and over again that makes life into a problem when it's not a problem? Life is just so. It's like this. Always has been, is now, never shall be just so. But that's not the way that I relate to it. It should be this way, it shouldn't be that way. And this is not good enough and I'm not good enough. And I've got to do more before I'm good enough. And Even our spiritual effort can be a distraction. You go into spiritual bookshops and, uh, or into people's houses even, you see the bookshelves are, are caving in with spiritual books and CDs and go on the internet and, my goodness, extraordinary array of stuff about liberation. Well, Buddha said it's not seeing two things, not seeing suffering, not seeing the cause of suffering. So I think it's worth bringing this to mind and not, not believe in what, even if what, you know, everybody else is doing. There is such a thing, I think, as, um, well, we all know what physical gluttony is. It leads to obesity. Gluttony, I don't know, we don't hear the word very much these days because, of course, the economy of our society is based on trying to get us to buy more and waste more and consume more. And we're all aware of this uh, obesity epidemic and people talk about it a lot. But I I sometimes also wonder about the um, spiritual obesity, spiritual gluttony, the the amount of stuff that is said, the amount of opinions there are about getting free. And just as just as one can get unhealthy physically and suffer from being overweight and and unhealthy from eating junk food, we can also, I think, similarly with uh, so-called spiritual nutriment, yeah, not not necessarily um, well prepared food. You know, food that's full of chemicals, you can make you sick. Well, uh, spiritual nourishment that's full of wrong views mm. can also make us sick. And so it's worth looking at the way we... It's always worth looking at the way we approach the spiritual disciplines that we've taken on. Are they oriented towards what the Buddha said? You know, You're not free because of not seeing these two things, suffering and the cause of suffering. Even suffering, we can't see it. Even when we are suffering, we can't see it a lot of the time because we're so busy trying to get away from it. So so busy trying to distract ourselves from it. So if we do start to notice that if we have the inkling that this is true in our case, 
that we've been we've been binging maybe on spiritual teachings you know like I uh, I used to I don't teach I don't teach retreats the lay community anymore uh, thankfully we have uh, Ajahn Abhinanda Ajahn Punyo and other teachers from other monasteries more skilled than myself who who are happy to take on teaching the lay retreats but I'm when I did teach them and do when I still do lead monastic retreats the one thing I I'm very insistent on and I think it's really important is silence I think this stop talking stop sending energy out this is we we send energy out with our body when we go eating stuff consuming stuff and we send energy out with our speech when we talk 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 well also with our mind we send energy out by opinionating on everything having an opinion on everything mm. so when we can just inhibit that you know, inhibit the grabbing food we eat at this time no more get the right amount of food we inhibit the speaking ok let's try being silent for a week and then you see how it helps the mind and inhibit this going out and proliferating and for those who are new at practice this can be quite a shock because the, the habit of proliferation the outflows, the exuberance uh, is um, looks like a torrent yeah. like a tsunami even and it's difficult to inhibit, to restrain so we want to go about it carefully but uh, so spending time on silence can be constructive and helpful, getting a perspective on what's really going on in our investigations, why we don't see suffering, the cause of suffering so clearly as the Buddha wanted us to. But also what I think is uh, really useful is to inhibit the amount of information we consume. Mm-hmm. Like these spiritual gluttony, I think, in terms of, of I'd like to I'd like to stop people from reading books on retreat as well. And I, I don't do that because I think everybody's got to find their own way. And if we can just stop talking, well, that's already a step in the right direction. And uh, I'd like everybody to stop reading books, but I think it's best if uh, everybody finds their own time for doing that. But but it is good to I think to at least at least inhibit the consumption of information even just a little bit not just on retreat but uh, in lay life for householders to 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 recognize to consider why did the Buddha why did the Buddha live as a renunciate after his liberation you know I was thinking about that yesterday why did the Buddha why didn't he live a comfortable life of of a householder after his liberation, completely no question about it, all his work was done. Well, it can only be a, a decision of wisdom. And one of the things that occurred to me was that the deluded ego manifests, expresses itself with this, this materialistic perspective on things that I need more. I always need more. I'm inherently lacking. I need more. Whether it's more food, more relationships, more possessions, or more spiritual credentials, you get more samadhi, more wisdom, more ideas, more clarity, more calm. 
So long as it's coming from this place of deluded ego, it's understandable because the deluded ego is inherently lacking. There's nothing wrong with that perception. It accords with the actuality that if we find our identity in this construct, this habit, this dynamic of deluded egoity, if we find our identity, our sense of security and I-ness in that, then we are going to be feeling something lacking. But that's why we kindle the faith, that's why we go for refuge, that's why we bow down to that which is inherently adequate, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, the triple gem. And here we're talking about the realized Sangha, not just conventional monks and nuns struggling away trying to realize Dhamma. But that which is inherently adequate, that which is already realized, So this predicament we find ourselves in, if it is the case, that we're believing we're lacking in some way, there's something wrong with me, I've got to do more, get more, become more. And then we stuff ourselves with more information, you know, even going on more retreats. You know, my recommendation would be hold back on that. Even don't go on retreats. If you want to meditate two hours a day, only meditate 40 minutes a day. Don't believe in that perception of I need more. Rather, question the perception. Where is it coming from? If we can ask that question with sincerity, who, who thinks they need more? You really feel that question. Who feels inadequate? Who feels they need more samadhi? And somehow get inspired with simplification. I think that's what occurs to me is why the Buddha lived as a renunciate. It sets the best example. The idea that you need more, the idea that you need a nice big house to live in, the idea that you need a, a radiant, lovely, harmonious relationship, the idea that you need more possessions and popularity and fame and so on, all of that, the Buddha were, in his example, from the time of his liberation to the time he died, he was saying that's not true. We just need enough. We need enough. We need enough shelter, enough clothing, enough food, enough medicine. That's all we really need. And, and then to actually investigate that feeling of need. Yeah. And so if we want to do this, we can somehow inspire ourselves, encourage ourselves to do this, not as some torture or some regime we're going to impose on ourselves, but get excited about it. You know, we get really excited about, yeah, I can ask these questions and get to the root of this. This is a really exciting thing to be doing, to take responsibility for this perception of, of lack, of inadequacy. You know, to really question it, you know, get to the root of this, and stop reading. 
And maybe we want to do it gradually, maybe, you know, just like one day a week or something, or one day a month, you know. Ajahn recommends people go on a, on a data fast, you know, not, not looking at the internet for one day a week or a month, or not looking at your favourite websites, or not checking Facebook account you know, for one day a month. Maybe that's a place to start. But then I would suggest go further and really go into an information fast. Information gluttons that we are. If anybody could see our energetic spiritual body, we're probably all kind of flabby. Flabby with, with opinions about spiritual life. And it'd be good if we could kind of lose some of the fat. <laughs> Pull back a bit on the information and feel what does it feel like to what does it feel like to actually know that you don't know and to feel okay about that to feel excited to feel excited about the reality that we don't know what we're doing instead of to be up here in the attic just playing with the computer kind of speculating about what he might be talking about yeah. So I, I remember um, many years ago now, in the, I think it was the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, there was a book around that uh, pretty well everybody I knew would seem to be getting wowed by, this spiritual book, uh, this great master, and, and everybody seemed to be quoting him. And I, I remember reading one page, or maybe I got to one and a half pages, and, and I had the feeling that this... This, is, this really looks like it's so close to what I intuit I'm looking for. And I didn't want to read it. I put it down because I, I really didn't trust this monkey mind of mine that would, would somehow imitate it. The Buddha didn't talk like that. The Buddha didn't talk about realization. The Buddha said two things, suffering and the cause of suffering. This is what you want to look at. This is what helps. You know, remember that, that image he gave when he was talking to the monks? He says, which is greater, the number of leaves in all the trees in the forest or the number of leaves in, in my hand? Picked up a bunch of leaves. And, of course, these discerning bhikkhus as well, Lord, obviously all the leaves in the forest are much greater than the few leaves in your hand. And so the Buddha says, so it is true that the truths of existence are much greater than what I've taught. But what I've taught is what's relevant. So this question of what's relevant... And what's relevant, one way of understanding what's relevant is this, these two things, suffering and the cause. Why can't I see suffering? Why can't I get interested in suffering? Not because I'm naughty. We're not talking about that. Not because we're bad people. It's a habit. From about, I don't know, about the age of seven probably, we discovered we had this ability to manipulate life. We had this condition of egoity that we had grown by that age and then we just manipulate, manipulate, manipulate to avoid suffering and sadly for most of us nobody told us well that's only a management strategy that you want to use in small doses it's like antibiotics you know you can manipulate conditions sometimes you know it's, it's helpful but what's more important what's, what's healthy is not depending on antibiotics you know, what's helped there is, is, is get healed, get well, get nourished. And that means get understanding. And not knowledge, not information. Not information about freedom, 
but experience. And so this is what the Buddha is pointing to, and that's what Ajahn Chah is pointing to. And and so this uh, this fabulous book that was it approximated, as far as I could see, reality to such a degree that I thought my monkey mind might start you know, remembering it and imagining that I understood it when I didn't. I also somehow had a feeling that that kind of delicious stuff, spiritual speculation, even if it's by somebody who's had some degree of insight, that stuff, I had a feeling that it would somehow dilute my own search, my own interest. It's good to get a little bit hungry. Somebody was mentioning to me the other day about asking how much food they should eat and, and they said, well, if I, uh, if I don't eat any more, I, I might start feeling hungry. And they were talking about it in a way as if that was somehow a terrible, terrible thing that should never happen. And I said, well, get hungry. <laughs> Do you know what it feels like to be hungry? Yeah, because we can't know the amount of food we need until we've actually felt hungry. Yeah, it's good to feel hungry. And then we can take a little bit more and we know the right amount. Because nearly always... We eat too much. It's so kind of the shadow effect of affluence, of course. I wouldn't want to have to go hungry myself. I wouldn't want anybody to have to go hungry. But it's okay to experiment with hunger. Well, similarly, with the gratification of our spiritual appetite, I want understanding, I want liberation, I want freedom. Well, that's marvellous, obviously. It's a, the most natural thing to want. But are we gluttons? Or are we modest and taking responsibility for this longing for freedom from suffering? If we're not gluttons, well then we'll moderate our appetite and we'll put those books back on the shelf, stop looking at all those clips on YouTube and the internet, whatever, and come back and ask our own really important question. Why am I still running after all these years? What am I running after? What am I running away from? Mm-hmm. So coming back to what Ajahn Chah was saying, that uh, freedom is nothing to do with the external conditions. Once you're free, whatever your situation in life is, you won't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. Having children is not the problem. Having grandchildren is not the problem. <laughs> yeah. Having to work is not a problem. Having to be the abbot of a monastery is not the problem. The conditions are not the problem, but the way we view the conditions. What Ajahn Chah realized and what the Buddha was talking about was the unconditioned. The conditions are endless. There's endless myriad variations on conditions and the arrangement of conditions. But what is the unconditioned what the Buddha called the Asankata Dhamma, the unborn, the uncreated, the unmade, the undying. Perhaps we could make that our, our very simple practice, just asking that question. Mm. What is the unmanifest, the unconditioned? And keeping it simple. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Anayang,